Hi, everyone. Today, we are discussing digital identities from the context of an automated web. My name is Hesse Jones, and this is Tech Uncensored. Just to give you a couple of stats, um, February 2023, there were 850 million people estimated globally that didn't have an ID. So that means they had no birth certificate, no passport, no driver's license, no national ID. So the United Nations, in its attempt to actually tackle this ID problem, echoed the need to actually establish legal identity for everyone, including free birth registrations before 2030. So having proof of legal identity or official, officially recognized ID, it matters for equitable, sustainable development. It's a key enabler for things like financial, economic inclusion, social protection, healthcare, gender equality, child protection. And the World Economic Forum identifies it as a basic human right. And it's often um, the thing that provides the, the, the things that we need, access to services, opportunities, how to, how to uh, get a job, how to open up a bank account and receive the necessary social assistance that we need. For us in the West, it's actually something that we take for granted. It, this is a given. So solving this identity problem becomes more of a priority, especially if we consider that many of our societies right now are moving towards digital. And the growth of digital services has further elevated this need to make our identities more secure as we, as we take on more convenient ways to actually transact online or remotely. So what are the risks we, we face today? So we all know that there are a lot of problems in the web. There are impersonations. Spam bots can actually make calls on behalf of the CEO and who can ask employees to actually send money or make donations. We see the prevalence of deep fake across the web, political actors that are more common and there's no way to really validate their authenticity. And what does this mean for, for platforms like LinkedIn, like Twitter, Airbnb, in these places where many of this fraud arises. And as we start to even get into, let's say, the automated data scraping of uh, data and uh, our identities across the web towards development of these LLM models, um, what are the implications for that? So we start to see that the, the risk to securing, protecting our own identities in this broader web becomes a bigger challenge. AI-generated media, trust and safety, age verification, these are all emerging areas that demand forms of digital identity. So all that to say, I'm happy to welcome today Riley Hughes, who is the CEO of Transit, which is a leading infrastructure for issuing and accepting reusable ID credentials from a network of providers. We'll get a little bit more deep into what Transicle is all about during this session. Riley has been early to the self-sovereign identity space. He's worked with communities that helped evolve not only the technology, but also the governance as this area started to emerge. And his company is paving the way for how we actually manage our own identities. So welcome, Riley, to the show. Thank you so much, Essie. I'm so glad to be here. No problem. So I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you because there's a lot of people that are not familiar with 
with digital identity. So I wanted to ask you, so what, if you were to define it in your own way, what is it? Yeah, I think simply put, digital identity is just a digital representation of a person, right? It's like the digital you. Now, obviously, we can dive a lot deeper into it, but conceptually, I think that would be my answer. Okay. So if you could, let's say, distinguish the characteristics of a digital ID from, let's say, a physical ID, like what are the properties that it holds? Yeah, so I can... Maybe to answer that question, it'd be helpful to explain a little bit about physical IDs because people are familiar with physical IDs generally. Um, and they work pretty well. I think if digital IDs were more like physical IDs, our lives would be a little bit better off. So in, in the real world, you know, we all carry around uh, IDs, cards, credentials in our wallets or purses or whatever. And you know, the reason that these are useful, like when I go to the airport and I hand my government my driver's license to the to the TSA attendant at the airport. They don't trust that credential because they trust me. They trust it because they trust the DMV that issued the credential, right? And just like any form of identification, whether it's a birth certificate, which was you know issued by by the government, or a social security card, or a passport, or a driver's license, or whatever, people don't trust those things because they come from us. They trust them because they come from a trustworthy source, right? So. Identity is really this way to bootstrap trust by taking some token from a trustworthy source that is somehow bound to me on a driver's license that's done by a picture, right? There's a picture of my ID and, a pic and, and, and whoever I'm presenting it to can see my face and they can see it's the same thing. And, you know, presenting that in a new context so that even though I'm a complete stranger, that the new place that I go can trust me because they trust the source of the ID credential, right? And what this means is that I don't need to do the full-blown identity proofing at every single place I go to, right? When I go to a bank to open up a bank account, I don't need to bring my birth certificate and my social security card and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. All I need to bring is this one little credential uh, of my driver's license because the DMV already did all that work to validate those things originally. And the, the driver's license is almost an abstraction or a proxy of the inputs to that driver's license, which are all the things the DMV, you know, verified about me, right? And so, you know, that's really how physical ID works. Digital ID, on the other hand, kind of still works without those, those proxies or those, uh, you know, passports or whatever, like, like what a driver's license represents in the, in the real world. If you think back 10 years ago, every single website, you needed to create a brand new account from scratch, right? With a username and password. And every single one of these accounts, every single one of these businesses would need to verify my identity from scratch because, you know, just like if I were going to the DMV, I'd have to verify from scratch. They would all have to do that, all that work themselves. Well, eventually, these social media providers and the big tech companies got smart about, you know, they already have all this data. They've already done all the work. And so why don't we federate against their data source and allow us to leverage our existing social media, um, you know, logins, generally speaking? to access third-party services. So now we see, so, so, so that brings in the advent of login with Google, login with Facebook, login with whatever, right? And that's, that's something that everybody is basically familiar with today. But there's some problems with it. Um, it, it. It relies on one big company that, that 
hoards all of your data. And unfortunately, the, there's a little bit, little bit of an adverse incentive there because, of course, Google wants me to use login with Google everywhere I go so that they can know everywhere I go. And as soon as they know that I'm logging into one place, they're going to serve me ads for a different thing. And it's, it's a little bit of an adverse business model. Google's not, um, doesn't necessarily have my best interests at heart, right, when they're doing. So, so that's the first problem. And then they, the other problem is just trust. Anybody can go create a Google account and put in whatever name they want to in there, right? And so uh, you're, you're never going to see login with Google to your bank or to your government or to your mm -hmm. healthcare institution, right? These, these are still entities that need to do all that work from scratch. And so I think where, we're, where identity is going next is more like the physical world where we will obtain uh, digital credentials and we'll hold them ourselves in a digital wallet, just like we have a physical wallet. And we'll be able to present the right credentials for the right use case, you know, to share the right information, um, you know, as we go about our life online. Okay. Okay. So, so from the perspective of, let's say, a student who is just, let's say, emerging, okay, they, they will have their birth certificate. They will have, let's say, their passport. They, they are already starting to, let's say, get a job. And um, they probably will have their... I don't know, their, um, their credentials from school, right? Yeah. Their university ID. But as they, as they um, emerge in life into a job, into developing a bank account, and into, you know, getting a mortgage and all that, are these the types of credentials that will help um, ease his way into, into I guess, the, the digital world as, as he develops more of these accounts? Yeah. Yeah. In the long run, I think we will all carry around credentials of all different kinds from all kinds of different. I think in the near term, what we're seeing is more traction on specific uh, use cases. Right. So most of these identity wallets, we'll call them, that, that are out there in the world exist to solve a specific problem first. And I think that's normal in any technology development. But eventually we'll see um, convergence or or aggregation or, you know, whatever, less, less fragmentation in that market. And we'll, we'll start to see more general purpose wallets um, pop up that'll allow us to do things throughout our life. Okay. So more simply though, because um, I, I want you to respond to, let's say that the world, world economic forum, when they talked about the urgent need to, for identity um, access to many of those countries where the citizens really just don't have any form of ID yet. And maybe that's the simplest form of how they can, I guess, develop a much easier towards an identity system, do you think, than the Western world that has already established all these different identities because of the logins and all the accounts that we've created, starting from scratch. Like, what are, what are the implications for somebody that's come out of one of these emerging countries where they have to establish that first ID? Yeah. I think that from what I've seen, it, it can be hard because before you can create an identity that is worth anything, you need to have systems and institutions that are trustworthy to establish it in the first place, right? And so if you take the example of a birth, a birth certificate, um, before the birth certificate will be trustworthy, you need to have kind of the systems in place to make sure that the right you know, parents are filling out the right forms and that the right people are issuing it and checking off on it and all of that. And generally speaking, if you already have all of that stuff set up, then you're already doing birth certificates. 
You know what I mean? Got it. And so I think that the problem is a, like, like part of the problem is upstream, right? Uh, in terms of the institutions that exist. Um, and, and then the other part of the problem is, of course, the product problem, right? If, if your digital identity solution requires your people to have the latest iPhone, then right. it, it, you know, it might, might, might work, you know, if you live in Toronto or San Francisco or London, um, right. But if, if you, you know, are talking about some of these other, other parts of the world that, um, has, have less developed identity infrastructure, some of those assumptions don't hold and you need to think a little bit differently about how you, you present it. I spoke to the, the chief technology officer of, uh, of the holding company of a part of the government of Bhutan. Um, Bhutan is doing exactly this. They're, they launched a self-sovereign identity, uh, a national government-led self-sovereign identity for all citizens. And what he told me is that they ended up needing to build 13 different wallets for all the different edge cases that they faced. So what that means is, you know, Android app is one, iOS app is another, right? Uh, a paper-based form that allows people without smartphones to participate is another. A web-based form for people who only have a desktop computer is another, right? But in total, there were 13 different variations of, of wallets needed to be created. And, that, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, effort. And so you can see why digital inclusion is important. And so, you know, you want to think about that kind of thing if you're a government. Um, but, but it's a lot of work to cover all the edge cases. And so I think that's the other half of the problem. Yeah. So for emerging nations, so you're talking about like just the gap the technological infrastructure gap that exists. Like if they don't have the basic stuff that we that we have, then even forget about the identity. It's like, how do you carry it? How, how do you afford it? Like those are the, the things that we, they have to think about. Okay, so you mentioned self-sovereign identity. And for a lot of our audience, they don't understand how it actually fits into the identity space. I'm assuming it's, it is one of the foundations of identity, but tell me what it means and how is it actually presented um, in ID technology? You say the the self-sovereign identity? Sorry, yes. my uh, audio cut out. Okay. Um, self-sovereign identity is a concept, right? It's an ideal and it's, a, it's an ideal state of the world in which people are the sole arbiters of their identity information, right? As in it, you know, as, as of course juxtaposed to a world in which, you know, big tech companies own all of your data. And, you know, the only way you can even access your own data or your own property or your own stuff or whatever is via mediation from a third party who allows you to access your own stuff, right? Like that, that's a world that I think most people don't want to, to live in regardless of, you know, I mean, I like Google, I like Apple, I like the services that I use from them, but I don't want them standing between me and you know, my exactly. digital existence. Yeah, right. exactly. So self-sovereign identity is the idea that people would control their, um, th their information on their own devices and uh, be the, the only ones in charge of who it is shared with and for what um, and how it's processed and how it's used and, and all of that. Now, I think self-sovereign identity is also sometimes a term that people use to talk about a specific set of technologies like verifiable credentials and digital wallets and decentralized identifiers and all kinds of things that they sort of lump into that category. And what I would say is that most products that are getting traction in the market today are 
stepping stones on their way to a future where self-sovereign identity is realized, not necessarily already self-sovereign products today, just because, you know, you got to meet people where they are and you have to get products out there that people adopt. Can I ask about, because you had mentioned Google and you had mentioned, you know, where we had to authenticate through, through, let's say like a one password or, you know, through uh, a Google interface at, at, at the outset. That has become the norm, as you know. So how difficult will it be to, to move away from that, I guess, expectation or reality in the future, especially as people start to realize that their identities are and their information are at risk if they continue to kind of be funneled through this one centralized ecosystem? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that there are a handful of risks that, that, that consumers face with their data. And most of them come down to centralization, as you mentioned. So I don't as much have a problem relying on Google for something. But if I have to rely on Google for everything and they're my central point of failure, then that can become a problem because if my Google account is breached, my Gmail, well, guess what? My Gmail is used for me to access my social media. It's used for me to access my bank. It's like one, one point of failure and, and everything crumbles, right? So I don't necessarily have a problem with technology companies helping people manage their data. It's just that when it's all centralized into one spot, that's, that's when it becomes you know, more of a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what we'll see is for consumers over time, um, you'll start to see other names besides Google, Apple, Facebook, whatever, for specific things that the Google, Apple, Facebook, whatever's of the world don't solve right now. One of those is um, strong identity verification, right? You'll start to, you know, there, there are lots of vendors out there that do strong government-issued ID, document verification, and uh, selfie matching or liveness detection um, that will, um, you know, you'll start to see, see, you know, verifying, you know, buttons to verify with these types of companies. You'll start to see buttons to verify your, I don't know, if you need to share your medical credentials or something like that, or if you need to share um, other information about yourself, you'll start to see those types of things. And then over time, um, I think uh, the market will expand a little bit more and, and there will be more diversity in, in the providers that allow us to help us mediate trust between our, us and the, the service providers we want to interact with. Okay. So um, let's get into your company. Um, tell me about you. First of all, you ventured down this path very early on what why and then what led you to develop Trinsic? well i did it because i saw a lot of my friends at college going to work at fancy companies that i'd never heard of like mckinsey or deloitte or goldman sachs or whatever and i'm like well what are these companies right and it's like all my ambitious all the ambi most ambitious people around me are going to work at these these companies with the names of people uh, you know on them and, um, you know, uh, maybe I should do that too. So I realized, oh, I need to, I need to beef up my resume a little bit. And so I just went and got the most off the wall job that I could. I searched a job board at my college and found the most, uh, sort of differentiated looking job, which was the first employee at a nonprofit doing blockchain meets identity. And I'm like, geez, this is a very, you know, esoteric role. I'm, I'm going to take it right. Because it'll, it'll differentiate my resume from all the other uh, you know, uh, 
straight white males that look like me that want to go work at all these you know big companies. And so it was as simple as that. Now, once I started uh, in that job, I realized, oh my goodness, there are a lot of problems to solve in this industry. It is ridiculous to me that we're sending people to outer space and we have cars that drive themselves and we can edit genes and we can create an mRNA vaccine to a global pandemic in 48 hours after the genome is sequenced or whatever. We can do so many incredible things with science and technology. And yet the cutting edge of identity is still pulling out a plastic card and taking a photograph of it with my yeah. phone camera or, or emailing it. It's, just, it's like ridiculous. It's like, clearly this is going to be better in the future than it is today. <laughs> and so, you know, we're not, we're obviously, you know, we're not going to get off of our, uh, you know, SpaceX craft on our Mars colony in a hundred years or whatever it is and pull a plastic card out of our spacesuit, right. To like settle Mars or whatever. Right? Clearly identity in the future is going to be better than it is today. And I thought that, I wanted to have a part of that, right? It's a, it's a really, really cool space because identity touches everything. Um, touches every interaction you have online. You have some identifier that you're exchanging with the counterparty. And making that um, be able to be done at a higher level of trust and mm -hmm. making it be able to be done in a way that's more consumer-oriented, meaning it's more privacy-protecting protect and more consent-driven by, by, by consumers so they know what they're, what they're doing. Um, is something that's going to just expand. It's just going to blow markets wide open. It's going to expand the market for what, what we can do online and um, ultimately lead to much better outcomes for, for, for people. So yeah, that, that's my little uh, rant, I guess, on, on why I yep. got into it, the space. So uh, there, you, you had given me a paper um, and your title on the paper was The Future of Identity is Reusable. Yep. What does that mean? It means that right now, most of digital identity that is not just a login, right? Logins um, are kind of reusable with the social media logins that we talked about. Yeah, but anything beyond just a login, right? Like, for example, if I need to prove that I'm over 21 or over 18 or over 25 and I want to rent a car, right? That car rental agency needs to somehow validate that I'm over 25. And how do they do it? They do it with they, they, do, they do it from scratch, right? They hire some vendor to send me through a process of taking a photograph of a government-issued document, taking a selfie of my face, right? Matching it, checking it against government databases, doing all this stuff. And then if I, if I decide that I need to rent a different car and I go to a different provider, that next provider does that exact same process from scratch over again. And, and then the next day, you know, I get there, I get to my hotel or whatever. They do the exact same process from scratch again. And then I go, you know, maybe I want to, uh, you know, get into uh, or, or order alcohol online at my wherever I'm traveling. Right. And they do that exact same process again from scratch. It's it's crazy. And so the same person, like each one of us is re-verified from scratch over and over and over and over across dozens of different vendors. And what does that mean? It means a bad user experience for people. It means the, these vendors are paying out the, you know, out the wazoo or whatever to, to, to um, re-verify the same people. And uh, it means that now your information is now duplicated across all these different places. And guess what? Only one of those places needs to have a data breach for your information to just be out there. Absolutely. And so it's just not a sustainable model, right? It's not, it's not a good model for the internet. What we need is something where I can get verified once and then I can turn that verification into a reusable credential is what we call it. You could say that you tokenize the vacation if you want to. You could say that you know, the verification is credentialized. 
um, and put into a wallet so that then every place I go, instead of getting re-verified from scratch, I can share only what I need to. For example, I can share that I'm over 25 without divulging my birth date or whatever. And I can do it in a way that is trustworthy and that actually allows me to accomplish my objective. Um, so that is the premise of reusable identity. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So, so um, what, so what exactly, is this new? Is this something like, because in the, before, in, in, in many cases, let's say, um, like for a bank, for example, you need to, like you, you only set it up once. And then once you have your identity, it's, 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 it's attached to your login information. Yeah. But also it's, it's almost the same thing as, um, the authentication applications. Do you see it? Do you see that as some kind of similarity or well, parallel with this? Well, Hesse, now what happens if you want to sign up for another bank or if you want to use a fintech product to get a loan on a mattress or something, right? Like, like that, then what happens? It doesn't even matter that you got verified at the first bank. What ends up happening is that you need to get re-verified from scratch at the next place. Mm -hmm. That does is it limits your choice. Because now your switching costs are so much higher to go shop around that most people don't do it. You just have to stick with the one, the one place that you've already gotten authenticated and verified at. So, um, so you can tell that I, uh, you know, I'm passionate about reusable identity. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I, I, you said one other question in there. What, what was that? Their question. It's almost parallel to. Oh, is it new? You said, is it new? Yeah. And and the the short answer is no. It's not new. Um, Everybody's known that this is a problem for decades. And when I got in the space uh, six or seven years ago, I was told by all the veterans of digital identity that I was surrounded with that this has been a problem that they've been trying to solve for decades. Um, and so the question became, well, why doesn't this exist already? This seems like such an obvious thing. We all do this already in the physical world, right? We go get a high degree of verification done once with the DMV. They give me a driver's license and then now I can use it everywhere, right? That, that, that we already have this reusable ID thing in the, in the physical world. Um, why don't, why doesn't this exist in the digital world? Well, it turns out, first of all, um, that it's hard technically to do. It's not that hard technically. And it's easy to say that now because we now have the solutions to the problem, but you know, you don't, always know a priori what the right solution to the problem is. And so there were various iterations of things that had to go through to get to where we are today. But, but, it, is, but it is a challenging technical problem to solve. But the more interesting part of it is if you think about it logistically, especially in the context of our conversation around big tech, how will you feel, Hesse, if your reusable ID was owned and controlled entirely by Samsung or by Google, right? Yep you're probably not going to be that excited about it. Um, and, and if everything is owned by, let's say, Samsung, is the government going to then say, hey, all citizens, you need to get a Samsung phone in order to interact with me, the exactly. government? Of course not. Of course right. not. And so what's required here is standardization. Standardization is the magic that enables so much of what makes technology work. And without it, Technology would just, I mean, we would be crippled uh, from a technology perspective in so many ways if we didn't have, you know, standards to power important things like the Bluetooth that I'm using right now for my little headphones in my ears to my computer. You know, the fact that these headphones can be 
you know, made by Apple and my computer can be made by Microsoft and they still work seamlessly together through the Bluetooth standard is magical. And it means that the, the, you know, the, the, the market for headphones and, and other things is so much bigger than it otherwise would have been. And similarly, um, what, what occurred or what, what was um, completed a few years ago in the identity space is a new standard called verifiable credentials. And that is the thing that really got me excited and makes me think that this problem is finally solvable now. Um, and in fact, verifiable credentials is um, verifiable credentials are being rolled out across the world now. They're, they're, they are the standard that's powering the EIDs that are going live in, in Europe. In the United States, we have a slightly different standard called mobile driver's licenses or MDLs. Uh, that's an, a, a slightly different standard. And that's in the, um, you know, uh, being driven primarily by state, state DMVs and, and, and things like that. But, but these are standards that uh, imply interoperability between applications and mean that consumers now have choice in what, what providers they use. So if we take that ex example, so uh, of these, I, I guess you, you call it digitally native forms of ID. Yeah. Well, how much of that is evolving in the healthcare space? Because as you know, those are highly, highly sensitive pieces of data. And for the most part, it's still very much, I would say, analog. That's where me, myself, have um, really all the the information about what happens to me when I go to one clinic versus my doctor versus another clinic. And I have all my kids stuff, but it ends up being in a physical wallet. Like, how yeah. do you think that that plays out um, within the healthcare space? Yeah. Well, this is an important problem for me because I had a family member pass away in the last couple of years due to uh, their the the inability for 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 the doctors to get the right medical information from the the other clinic or health system that they were being treated at and and made then made mistakes because they didn't have all the information and so it's 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 tragic what you know the 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 current state of affairs in healthcare and and the same thing can be said across the economy in all different industries and what what I'll say is that the cool thing about verifiable credentials is that they're not industry specific i mean the, the ISO mobile driver's license standard is uh, good at doing mobile driver's licenses, as you can imagine, because that's what it was made for. But verifiable credentials is made more as a general purpose standard, um, which can be applied across, across industries. And so, you know, we see things evolving in healthcare as well as, you know, industrials and logistics, as well as uh, employment and HR and, 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 and education, as well as all these other places. Um, so I guess what I'll say at a high level is that there is work going on in the healthcare space. Um, but I don't think, you know, we're going to see massive transformation there in the next, you know, year or two broadly. I mean, I mean, I think we're seeing innovation happening in small pockets in the next year or two for sure. And that's going to continue and grow, but I don't think the average consumer will have a dramatically different experience in the next couple of years due to, due to this stuff in healthcare, just because things move slowly and as you said, it is high stakes. So you don't want to just rush things and move fast and break things with people's healthcare data. So you want to be really careful about how you roll it out. And that just takes time. And so like, so what we're saying is that if it's, let's say, healthcare or even fintech or finance institutions where KYC is a huge deal, especially for every single transaction that goes through the bank, there, there is going to be, I guess, a, a level of adoption that, that's going to be fragmented across 
industries, I would assume. Yeah. So yeah. from your perspective, so like, I think everything is, regardless of what tech that, that's being developed, is moving towards some kind of standard of trust and safety, right? And if we can't even solve some of the things today that are happening on the web that, that we had discussed earlier with fake accounts and, and impersonations, all that stuff, how do you see things actually changing, let's say, in the ne next decade? Because everything has to be fixed, but they have to do it in lost, yeah. right? Well, here's the thing, Hesse. We can solve most of those problems. The reason that they're not solved is because it is, A, economically challenging, and B, uh, user experience-wise, not, not ideal. So imagine, like, like, take a fake account on dating apps to, to, to take people's data and scam people, whatever. Well, if we use that as an example, why doesn't the dating app just verify the identities of everybody who's onboarding? They don't need to share the true identity if they don't want to, right? You could still have a pseudonym or, or you can, you know, the, the question of what is shared publicly or whatever is, is a different question. But the ability to verify the identities of people onboarding is absolutely a possibility today. They could totally stop all the bots, all the fake accounts, all the scammers right now if they did that. The problem is that it's going to cost them, you know, two dollars a person, and it's going to and and it has wow. to send people through this two to four minute flow of going to find their ID out of the you know go fish it out of their purse in another room and then bring mm. it back and hold it and then oh there's a glare on the camera and so now let's change the lighting and then you take the selfie and now it's under manual review and I have to wait for two minutes you know the so, so the user experience of doing that is is not ideal uh, nor is are the economics however. If you have reusable ID, right? Once you do that kind of crappy process once, now it becomes much, 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 much easier to 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 get that strong verification done because it's as simple as Apple Pay or something, right? So it's as simple as you know the simplest experiences that we have right now to share uh, to share data about ourselves. So basically, the the cost and the friction drop. An order of magnitude, and so what it means is that we can solve a lot of those problems that that you're describing. Um, I think that the fundamental there's just a fundamental infrastructure problem that we're grappling with, which is this identity infrastructure. And as you can tell, I'm really passionate about solving that, and I think I think we we are making headway in solving that. And once once that's solved, we can we can make headway on a lot of other things, including something that I'm really passionate about, especially in 2024, it which is content authenticity. Right? How do you know? whether a person was behind this piece of art or this photograph or this whatever, yeah. or, or whether it was created by an AI. Uh, elections and with you know, everything that's going on in the world, that's just going to be super critical. But you can't do it unless you fundamentally have solved the identity problem that is at the root of content creation. So I, I'm optimistic that we'll see major progress in 2024. But um, yeah, anyway. It'll be uh, so. My so my question to you is that, um, are there sectors of industries that are adopting uh, digital identity much faster than others? And if so, can you give us an example of clients that are that are doing this uh, effectively? Yeah, I think at a high level, the concept of a verifiable credential um, we've already talked about. It's the idea that I can basically do what we do in the real world, but digitally, right? I can get a digitally native credential that is provably from a trustworthy source. Okay. 
Um, and then when I share it, I can, I can prove that it actually came from that source and it was actually just issued to me and all of that, right? So um, what that does is it means that, you know, there's a lot of businesses right now that are intermediaries or data aggregators. If you think about a, 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 a credit bureau, for example, they just get data from your bank and they aggregate that data and then they sell it to other people. But if your bank just gives you that data directly, then you can be your own aggregator of data and it disintermediates the credit bureau or, or, or whatever. The same thing happens with identity verification companies, with background check companies, with employment verification companies and education verification companies, right? There, there are lots of companies that, that intermediate these kind of trusted transactions. Um, and in a world of verifiable credentials, that is disruptive to them. <laughs> and so ironically, well, I guess not ironically, smartly, we're seeing those, comp those kinds of companies adopt first. Right? They want to get out ahead. They want to disrupt themselves before they get disrupted. And so, um, so I think there's a lot of companies in those types of industries that are moving the fastest because it's frankly existential for them. Um, in terms of sectors, I think um, uh, travel is a sector that we're seeing quite a bit in. Uh, healthcare, not not as much healthcare on the um, consumer side, but more healthcare on the uh, enterprise side in terms of staffing or in terms of insurance reconciliations and, and, and uh, B2B use cases around the supply chain of pharmaceuticals, for example. There, there are lots and lots and lots of niche places where we're seeing digital identity being adopted. Um, but I think if I had to say a single category, it would be the, the category of companies who, who, who are um, mitigating disruptive tendencies of verifiable credentials um, by taking action themselves. Okay. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. It, there, honestly, there, everything that you said here, like from the perspective of even where we evolve to in the next five years, is it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays together, especially with the, these large LLM stuff. So I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Riley, for joining me and helping me unravel this fascinating topic, especially now that, you know, data privacy continues to be a, a lot more pronounced today. And could uh, digital identity be something that could work in lockstep with how things evolve? So thank you for joining us. If you or in our audience have any specific topics that you want us to cover, please email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.com. We are Tech Uncensored is created by Altitude Accelerator. It's also available wherever you get your podcasts. So I thank everyone for joining us today. And until next time, have fun and stay safe. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech Uncensored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.